Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. 
as your day unfolds Challenge what the future holds Trying to keep your head up to the sky Lovers, they may cause you tears Go ahead, release your fears My, oh my Eh, eh, eh You gotta be bad, you gotta be bold You gotta be wiser You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough You gotta be stronger You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm You gotta stay together All I know, all I know Love is safe to take Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, I'm sure. Area code nine seven three. Who's this? Uh, Wayne Smith. Uh, Mayor Wayne Smith. Thank you so much, sir. I'm sorry about that. And have Mr. Holmes. No um, so far, I had two cancellations, so but I'm not gonna let that uh, discourage the show. Um, but we want to send our support and um, and prayers to uh, Just Isaac, um, boxing. Um, champion his father fell last night so um he did call me and told me he won't be able to make the show so i understand that particular uh part so we send our prayers out to him as well um uh, uh the others are going to be a little late but we're going to go ahead and get started and um first of all mia smith i appreciate you for um taking time out to join in the uh, panel discussion um and of course mr holmes but um nevertheless there's a lot a lot of um, topics I want to discuss, and um, that is urging me. And um, every time that I um, that my team goes out, there's always other stories that are coming back to back, and other something that are that's happening. Um, so, um, either one of you guys can get started with the uh, discussion. I know I'm the host, but I always like to give the uh, the guests. Um, an opportunity to start things off as well because, you know, this is always our show. So, um, Mr. Holmes or uh, Mayor Smith, you guys can, the floor is yours. You guys can start if you would like. Mayor Smith, you go ahead, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, first let me just uh, uh, thank uh, Brother Hodge for inviting uh, inviting us. I think there's probably a whole host of issues that we'll probably get into some discussion today. And, of course, uh, the George Floyd case, 
um, which is probably the number one topic around the world right now, and, and what's going to happen with the state of policing and the state of uh, the social, ju- social justice movement in our country, uh, where we're going as a country as the, the Biden administration takes office and is moving a number of initiatives. Um, so I'm sure those will come up in our discussion. And just the general state of uh, international, national, and uh, local scenarios, and particularly as they relate to people of color and the African-American community in particular. Absolutely, and, and it's, it seems to be, you know, um, put, I would say, as African-American man, to put us in, you know, um, just our mental state and to where we're thinking about things that I don't, I, I don't know if our white counterparts think about, you know, when they go outside, you know, what's going to happen, or am I going to come back home today? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it was good to, to watch the trial and, and to see all of the intricate details that came out, um, because I think that we, we thought that the, that um, the gentleman had his knee on his neck for one time, and then in the case, it was a whole, almost an a entire, entire additional minute, right? Yeah, yeah. At the first, they came out and said eight minutes and something seconds, and then in the trial, we found out it was nine minutes and 56 seconds. So, oh, it was, uh, you know, it, it was just disconcerting to say the least. And I just, I think, you know, it, it's interesting that the trial took so much public attention for it for it to come out the way that it did. But this was the first time you actually saw the police establishment from the police chiefs and others come out and testify against their officers. So there's a pendulum shift, um, you know, and I think it's a result of all the activism that's going around. And I remember, um, you know, in my lifetime, uh, you know, police brutality has always been an ongoing issue. But the, the, the advent of the technology allowing people to capture it in action. I mean, we go back to the incident that happened many years ago in California. It was still on tape and nothing happened. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, it struck a, 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 a foundational chord in people's ability to, you know, try to create a just society when people reacted to the George Floyd case in the way that they did. Absolutely. Uh, guys, if I could just interrupt for a second. I just want to bring um, uh, Anita Pierce, um, business consultant and uh, community advocate out of New York, uh, to the panel, and also our regular uh, moderator and also co-host of the um, event, mental health expert, um, Alicia Green, who just joined um, the panel. So I'm sorry about the interruption, but I want to um, introduce those guests. We have um, Mr. Holmes um, and also Mayor Smith, a part of this panel as well. Um, welcome, Anita and Alicia, to the panel. Good Hello, morning. Lady. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. So I think um, Mr. Holmes and Mayor Smith um, was just discussing the George uh, Floyd um, case and um, the outcome of the police and what we are looking forward to moving forward. Yeah, you know, we were just discussing um, about you know um, how how intricate it is you know as as black men you know um, 
and 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 how new things came out in the case that we didn't know um had went on such as the time of of the the pin down uh was almost a minute a minute and some seconds longer than everyone knew and that came out of the case and you know um how you know as a black man you 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 want to get from the fear of walking out of your door and not coming back home you know how Absolutely. do we how do we you know get our mindset and even our kids you know I don't know if if, if you ladies have have you know sons um but you know I I'm sure parents moms and fathers you know have that fear you know um of you know am I am my kids going to come back and it's not even you know I don't think gender situation because you got females and males getting shot these days. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. by by police. And, you know, the fact that, you know, a a cop can stop a young man that has a misdemeanor warrant and pulls her gun out and mistake it mistake her gun for her taser. Yeah, I don't know if it's colorblind. I don't know if it's, you know, you you don't because you, your gun is in front of your face, so you see it's black, and you know it's not your yellow, yellow taser. Or do you think that we're really supposed to believe that or, or accept that as, a, as an excuse? You know, so, so it's, it's, think, it's, very, it's very troublesome. So I think for me, and um, good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me. This is um, the voice of Anita Pierce. Um, so I appreciate um, hearing, you know, um, some of the comments that were made. And I'm going to talk from the perspective of being a black woman and also a mother to um, a six-year-old, but I also have nieces and nephews that are um, of teenage and cousins that are of teenage and are of adult age as well. Um, I did not watch um, the trial. I also did not watch the video of um, George Floyd's um, murder. Um, And the reason why, I, I did not want to um, further traumatize what I was reading. So I'm a heavy reader. Um, I don't watch the news, um, but I do read, um, you know, news reports and also um, heavy in books. So I wanted to preface my statement by saying that. And so even though I did not see the video, um, reading um, and also looking at the comments that are um, – running rampant within our community is traumatizing. You know, I I teach my six-year-old daughter. I'm I'm starting to teach her um, the difference about what it means to be a brown girl in America. Um, And I am trying to minimize some of my concerns because they are valid concerns. Um, You know, we're talking about um, things that happen in school, like I had read that a young, uh, uh, I think the the young girl was like four years old, like a teacher cut her hair. I, I don't, I, I couldn't even imagine um, sending my child to school after we spend and care for her hair, um, that she comes back and her hair is like, you know, to her scalp. I, I don't know how I would respond. Um, but that did happen, and the, the, the continuation of what the media is putting out, um, you know, we had a verdict um, that was the start of 
what most believe or cautiously believe as uh, justice, right? You know, I think I think back as I was teaching this week, one of my students had to let me know that, you know, oh, my gosh, they're doing the verdict. And I'm like, am I ready to deal with this? And it immediately brought me back to um, the time of Rodney King. And most of my students that I teach never heard of Rodney King, so I had to give you know, to them some sort of historical reference to what, you know, historically what this meant. Um, And it was just hard. This whole week has been hard because, you know, as soon as you see the verdict and you have, um, you know, a young woman, I believe she, she was 15 or 16 years old, that was, you know, shot. And then, you know, the stories keep coming up you know, as I'm reading in the news, and it's almost like, you know, where does this stop? Where does it stop for, um, you know, community? Where does it stop for the policing in America? And I actually was reading about um, the training that um, the FBI and the police officers actually received from um, this, I guess he's like a trainer. Um, the, The name is Dave Grossman. Um, and he is really um, the person that is um, helping to train um, in the mindsets of, you know, some police officers. Now, I say that, you know, understanding that at the core, and this is what I believe, me personally, that, again, I have family members that are police officers, right? And I know their heart. I know that, 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 that they are not a part of the entire problem. But I also know that systematically the, 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 it is one that is, um, it needs to be overhauled. And it starts with what's being trained. When you look at, you know, and read about what other countries are doing in terms of the, the time frame, how long, how long are police officers when they get on the force are they allowed to be on the street? You know, what is it, a couple of weeks, a couple of months? You know, what is it, a year? In other countries, it's a couple of years that they, you know, go through a full training process. Um, and, they, and they have a much lower rate of, you know, actually killing someone um, as, it, as, it's, as it's almost like target practice in America. So for me, you know, essentially it's very tough. And you know, when you are conscious about what's happening and what's going on on a, on a day-to-day basis, it's almost like you are, um, you have to protect um, and try to, you know, not live in constant fear, but also know that, um, you know, there's still work that needs to be done. You know, and for me, it's at the core of how the community and the police officers are being trained. So I'll start with that, and then I'll pause. Yeah, so that, that, that poses a question, a very, um, a, a very good question on how police officers are trained. And so if, if, uh, uh, it talks about standards. So each state or each locale has the ability to train, and that's why the George Floyd Justice Act, a, a federal legislation that some people are pushing, is beginning to set some standards of, of accountability. And, you know, uh, Attorney General of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, said that the trial wasn't a, a, a trial of, of justice, but was really about 
accountability, holding a person accountable for what they did. I mean, we are, we are on a long journey for justice, that's for sure. Yes, and I, and I agree. I agree with that 100% because it's all about um, um, accountability as well as um, the the training aspect because you can't you can't you can't complain when you don't properly train, right? Um, and I think it's 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 the 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 community's responsibility to hold the um, departments and the the organizations or entities that of a city that is responsible to the community to make sure that they are properly held to accountability and they're also properly vetted. Because you have people that, that's on these police forces, it seems, that that really have a a mindset and, and a thought process that this is okay. And the reason why I say that is because it keeps happening. <laughs> it keeps happening over and over again. And and unfortunately, you know, people are not held accountable or have to pay for their actions. And when and, and this is just just regular criminal behavior, honestly. Because if you think you can get away with it once, you're gonna try it again. Absolutely. And that's a mindset. If I could, if I could just um, squeeze in for one second. Um, actually, 48 hours ago, the COVID-19 uh, bill was passed a hate crime against Asian Americans. Now, we've been there's been hate crimes against blacks for quite some time, but there was no bill passed. For us, not saying that I have anything against Asian Americans, but there was no bill passed for us. There was no there was no special team, undercover team to go in and to um, they they hired a whole entire team to um, go against uh, hate crimes to undercovers to go around the city to um, find hate crimes against Asians. Why is there no type of force? to go and stop these police or killing or stop killings against black people. Mayor? Why, why would you still pass her Well, I would, I would say that there are two things going on. Some, some people would say that our activism, there's no fit, there has been no official uh, process that, that the establishment governments stopped all this violence against the African Americans and people of color. The, the, the Asian community, though, has been also under assault for a very long time. If you study the history of this country, you'll see that um, they've had similar issues, but underground. The other thing is that the packaging of how Asians are received as the ideal minority, um, and, and that's why the Black Lives Matter movement is so important, because somebody had to lift up, um, I think it was uh, one of the, the other panelists said earlier, that you know sometimes people can kill with impunity because they don't value the life of the person that they're dealing with. So it's it becomes second nature to kill that, that person. And uh, because of the Asian community's perception of being this ideal minority, I think it was lifted up and much quicker. But remember, the social justice movement in this country has been driven by uh, black people for so long so that every movement benefits from our activism. Not that there's a division. We want to help oppress people, no matter their color, their gender, or whatever their case may be. But the fact of the matter is, it's our activism that's really mobilized the world. If you see what's happening in uh, 
even in England where they came out with a report recently that there was no racism in England. Now, of course, no one believes that. Um, and and they, 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 right after that, they just did a report saying that the people who, who, who served the British government in the Army um, were not recognized with their own burial grounds. This was just an article in the New York Times, I believe it was yesterday. So Black Lives Matter becomes a very important point. We have had to struggle from being three-fifths of a man in the Constitution for just the basic uh, human rights. And that's why Malcolm said during the, the, the Civil Rights Movement, it's all right to have to, to fight for our civil rights, but we're really fighting for our human rights. And so you can see the, the, the difference, and, and again, you know, want to keep this in context, too, that any oppression is oppression against all of us. But you see the, the, the kind of treatment, I think, that Brother Hodge is pointing out when other people are involved. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think the, um, the change comes from um, us being a part of the solution. And I think us being a part of the solution would really challenge us to, number one, be educated, to number one, be involved, number, num- number two, be involved, number three, also get engaged because we can't – silence is, is, is almost putting you a part of the, the problem. But if we, if we continue to, to organize and also be a part of the lawmaking process, we, we, we have the ability and the power to, to write, you know, um, put laws in place, mm. you know, bring things to the forefront. If we have an issue with, with social justice, let's create the kind of laws, the kind of bills that, that allows for change to happen from the inside out. But we won't, we won't run for office. We won't, we won't participate in, in, in supporting people that are running for office that, 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 are, uh, that, that has the same, you know, kind of interest that we have. But we can't sit by and expect things to happen on its own because it's not. It won't happen until we make it happen. I definitely, I definitely echo those sentiments about um, becoming activated in our communities to provide solutions from the inside out. Um, one of the things that um, I'm actually from Brownsville, Brooklyn, um, and so one of the things that, that as a community, there are a number of different solutions that are, um, you know, we it's, have the it's ability hard, it's hard to, to hear you. We can't, we can't hear you. Um, Someone's background. No, that's not my background. Can you okay. hear me okay now? Yes, if um if people can somebody can unmute their background. Right, go ahead. I was not yeah. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um no, so one of the things that um that is happening, um, you know, and I could speak um you know, about some of the solutions that are coming up is about really beginning to educate, um, you know, our, each other about what it means to be civically engaged. I think that, you know, a lot of times we are focusing on the national races. In New York City, we have pretty much all of the, the offices that are actually up um, from the mayor to the, uh, you know, borough president to, you know, the city council and other 
um, races. And a lot of times, you know, we um, have a tendency to focus on nationally what happens at that level that we may forget to educate ourselves and each other about the importance of uh, becoming involved civically um, and, and just learning about, to your point, about learning about what it means to actually put a policy or, or something in place that actually will help to grow our community. Um, some of the other things that are happening that I know um, specifically about um, attempting to resolve um, uh, public safety issues, I know that um, there's a, a collective that is coming together Actually, uh, I believe it's next week, um, the Brownsville Safety Alliance is actually, um, they have an initiative where instead of having um, the police, they're using um, um, the Cure Violence um, initiative and the team members to actually help um, to um, manage some of the, the, the issues that we have within our communities. And so thinking about um, how can we utilize the resources that are already there or elevating them um, is one of the ways that can help um, to try, in my opinion, to try to minimize, you know, the lack of knowledge, making sure that we appropriately uplift each other in educating one another, um, even if it's, um, you know, having um, a senator, you know, do a training about how to talk, how do we make laws or have a, a, a community advocate talk about, um, you, know, uh, you know, how do we organize as a community at the base level and not just looking at it from a grand scheme because um, our passing along education um, and how we do things and not just, you know, seeing it on social media um, and going back to some of the basics, in my opinion, is how we begin to um, approach um, our community solutions from a multifaceted approach because everyone isn't going to be on the front line. Um, but, you know, thinking about um, historic, his historic, from a historical perspective that, you know, you had someone, to, folks who were on the front lines protesting. You had, you know, folks who were organizing as writers and et cetera, and, you know, those teaching um, so that we all collectively can do our part in this whole, you know, to be out to, to make changes. Uh, I think that is so important, and, and, and those are the things that we need to be doing on a consistent basis. You know, organizations all across this nation um, should be, you know, creating um, uh, or curating events that gives us real information. Um, and I'm not the host, and we think we 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 are so thankful for um, Mr. Timothy Hodge to for creating this platform. Um, but Mayor, one of the questions I had was, what is the what is the process or the initial process in order to, like she just mentioned, um, of bringing laws to the forefront or how do you create laws from a, you know, um, community level? You know, it, we know that there, we have the ability to protest or what have you, but, you know, I think what marries protesting, which is bringing awareness to certain things, um, we have to create, you know, situations to where, we cause what we bring attention to to start to move in our favor. So what is the process or the initial process, you know, that a regular person in the community would need to do in order to get those things heard and, and start creating the process of creating a law or, okay. you know, a bill? 
So, me, so, so, so me, I think she raised, and you both raised very super important points, uh, particularly the sister from New York who lives in Brownsville, because right now New York City is under is a big race. It's a, you know, it's sort of like a test case around the country. They're doing something very, very different in that election, and they, there's a process called ranked voting. So I'm going to answer both questions. In Mayor, you still there? I think you dropped out. You was about to say something, Tim? I was going to um, respond to your questions. I wanted the uh, mayor, um, mayor Smith to actually address it as on, on a, a political basis, um, on a political standpoint. But um, mm-hmm. the best way to do that is to uh, meet, schedule a meeting, a one-on-one meeting with the elected officials and to discuss with them um, bringing certain things to law having certain bills passed when there are um, meetings held by all the elected officials, the House of Representatives, when they have these meetings to bring that up into discussion. So that's Mm -hmm. the process as to how to um, get things into law, get things into process and into motion. So I'm actually um, glad that you brought that up, Mr. Holmes. Yeah, because it's it's very important. Yeah, go ahead, Nathan. No, I was going to say it's very interesting because I know that when we were having um, the elections um, at the at the president level, um, you know, some of the state uh, local senators, um, you know, that question I had posed to them. One, one because you know, oftentimes when we vote um, elected officials in office, we don't we're not really clear. We just kind of vote them in and just leave them there um, mm-hmm. instead of really um, establishing relationship, meaning you don't have to be in their offices every day, but just mm-hmm. making sure that you are um, placing whatever issues or concern that, that relate uh, for, for the community at the forefront. And, and to, um, you know, Mr. Hodges' point about, you know, setting up a schedule, a time, bringing along a neighbor um, to be able to bring up an issue that is of community concern. Um, you know, it could be something like, um, you know, changing, you know, publication laws to, you know, uh, for small businesses or, um, you know, having um, the appropriate um, transportation or lighting within a community. Those things are of community concern and benefit. And that, you know, when we place, when we vote them in office, um, you know, it's really just about scheduling time to um, and not be afraid because you did vote them in office to have, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of a community conversation or open dialogue with those that we vote in office. And most of them, um, particularly in the community where I'm from, they are open to that. Um, you okay. just have to do, you know, your follow-up to be able to meet with them in schedule time um, when they have constituent hours. So let me ask you this question. Does every community or should every community have an advocate um, that has that relationship or should all the community members try to have that relationship with their representative? What is the proper would, way to, to, to go about it? I would, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, um, you know, each, each, each 
um, city, town, has, you know, probably 100,000 people as, a, as an example of a number. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, you can't realistically say that they're going to meet with each and every, you know, That's person that saying, lives yeah. within their, in their thing. But mm-hmm. I, I say that, you know, you, you don't I, – I, I come from two mindsets, and I'm not being double-minded, but um, everybody should have the, 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 the courage, right, to be able to say I'm going to speak up on behalf of my community and not just feel like they need to elevate one or two people to advocate mm-hmm. and speak on behalf of, of a community. Does that – I hope that makes sense. So, yes, it should be, you know, that we all should feel um, comfortable to say, you know what, I'm going to go to my, you know, the person who I voted for, um, you know, to be able to, you know, express, you know, this particular concern, but also not specifically relying behind the shadows of one or two people, if that makes sense. So we all should well, be empowered is... and collectively mm-hmm. supporting, you know, that 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 idea as to the movement itself, if that makes sense. So this is what I would want to say, because this is how my mind works, right? If I'm mm-hmm. so speaking from the community standpoint, asking the question from the community, but speaking from if I was in office, right? Because mm-hmm. if I got in office, my purpose and my goal should be to be the answer for the people, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm 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 thinking that if that's my goal, I know just like you just said, if there's a hundred thousand people in my in my in my district. I know I can't talk or listen to it because if I'm, if I'm spending time listening to them individually, I don't have enough time to do the work, right? right. And so it will, make, it will make more organizational sense to me if there were a trusted source that could be the advocate to relay to me information as a representative that I can trust that say, okay, they speak for the people or they've had meetings, they've had town halls that I can either come to or, or get reports from to figure out what, what the people want and what are the issues, and we can address them more systematically, you know, and I, I'm, that's just me thinking, but is, is that something that we should push towards, you know, or should we just all try to go down to the Capitol building or to the mayor's office and let our, let our voices be heard? I'm just trying to figure out what is the pro- a proper, sensible way that we can all get systemic change done and, and see, and see you know, realistic, realistically see things being done in our favor or our behalf. Mayor, are you back, Mayor? Yeah, I am. I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, that, that is important. Like, I was, I was, I don't know how much of it you said. I realized my, my. We didn't hear nothing, sir. No, I'm just kidding. Let me just quickly repeat what I said. I think the, the sister raised a very important point. On the local level, there are tons of boards and commissions that have power that are not elected, that make land use decisions, that make uh, uh, decisions on where things could go, like factories and plants and other things that we don't even know anything about. So every elected official listens to people who have organized groups because that is how you – you can't, like you say, if you represent – my community was um, about – 70,000 people. Of course, I couldn't talk to 70,000 people all the time. So what you mm-hmm. do is you have 
and in my community, we had block associations. We had, and I would go meet with them. There, there were mm-hmm. district leaders. New York City has what they call district leaders who are out in the community and represent the various political parties and encourage people to vote. So you try to, that's why it's important to develop constituency groups, block associations, tenant associations, PTAs. I think the sister said she was an educator. So PTAs are very influential, not only in the school, but they also give you a sentiment of what's going on in the community. Elected officials who can touch base with those who should be touching base with those will get a lot of information about what's going on in their community if they, if they, if they model after that. There are tons of nonprofit groups out there who you can work through to get advocacy and information out but you, you, you use those groups also to influence elected officials about things that you believe should be done, legislation that should be implemented, and so forth. So, you know, we have to – and I think the, the, the system made a very important point. There are some voters out there. I, I encourage everybody to vote, whether they – you know, some people, you know, were discouraged from voting. I would not be one of those. And participate not only in the presidential election or the congressional election, but to participate in every election – and, you know, listen, you don't have to vote for the people on the ballot if you don't like them. You can, you can write people in. I mean, they're, they're parts of, the, of the, the democracy, because the democracy is big business, that we don't even utilize, that we can utilize to our, our benefit. But New York, as I was saying, was a, a prime example. They have community boards that mm-hmm. take a lot of the decision-making uh, process away from the local officials. Because New York is so big, you've got to have a, a couple of kinds of forums to get things done. New York is also doing something different this election for the first time ever. They're having ranked voting, which means you can pick your first candidate and your, your, your second best candidate, and, and in the mix they'll statistically determine who wins that primary process. The political bosses, and I'll say this, you know, um, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or, or Labor Party, whatever you are, the, the two major parties control the nomination processes. And so if you're trying to take that group on, sometimes you are not even, you can't get on the ballot, or you're so far away on the ballot, you can't even run. So you know, New York is doing something now will give people more voices to be heard because they'll be able to say, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, and statistically they'll be able to, 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 you'll be able to, to weigh in on a different level. So we'll see how that works out. This is the first place that I've ever heard they've ever tried rank voting in America, and it's going to be a massive experiment, but we'll be able to weigh in differently. But there are tons of ways that you influence public policy and had tons of ways that you get a law. And, and a lot of it means participating in these various community organizations that carry the philosophy that you think is worthwhile. And it could be as basic as belonging to the Urban League. It could be your block association. It could be if you're a tenant, create a tenant's association and look out at the interests of the neighborhood. When you call your council person as John Jones, you're going to get attention for John Jones. But if you call as the uh, committee head for the Bedford-Stuyvesant Tenants Association, you're going to get a different response. Well, what building do you live in? I live in a building with 3,000 3, 3, tenants or 100 tenants. Whatever that is, any, any, any group more than 10 people is a powerhouse, believe me, in, in the American democracy. So that's how we have to, we have to organize this, you know, uh, I think it was Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Toure, who said, we must be in the business of organizing, and we must belong to some organizations in order to have an impact on the process in this country. 
Yeah. I think that's very important. And, and because, you know, one of the things understanding, you know, Mr. Hodges, you know, spirit in his heart, you know, this, this platform that he's, he's affording us is really in position to give people real information, you know, because mm-hmm. we can sit here and talk about the problem all day long, right? But mm-hmm. what one of the things that's important for us is to understand, yes, it's important to identify the problem, but it's also, if not more important, to identify the solution. Because mm-hmm. we can't change only talking about the problems, only talking about what's hot in, 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 in news right now. How do we change? How do we put forth real change for real progress? Right. And so I really, really appreciate the information that you're giving us, Mayor and, and, and Ms. Anita. Yeah. Absolutely. I, if I could pick up this for one second. Um, recently, um, um, representatives, uh, Georgia State Representative Park Cannon, if you guys remember, was arrested for um, knocking on Governor uh, Brian Kemp's door, uh, the governor of Georgia, for signing into law voter suppression. I find, I, I was really, um, oh my God, really upset about that participation because you have a state representative arrested because this individual signed a law for voter suppression. I am 100% against that. For you to sign into law voter suppression, and then for you to arrest this individual, a state representative that represents the entire state, a Democrat, a black woman at that, for you to arrest her, to drag her off the property of the governor's um, mansion. Be very astonished. I, I just, it just bothered me. Um, if I can get you guys' thoughts on that, Mayor, um, Anita, and uh, Mr. Holmes, you guys' thoughts on that. Well, I, I, I actually was going to mention that, you know, um, because that alludes to what we're talking about, how do you get things passed through law? Because a lot of times things are signed in, in, into law that we have no clue, and we won't know it until it's done, but that's, that, that's also because we're not paying attention. And so these politicians that, that are there, they, they, they know law. They know they can write one sentence to change the whole history of everything. We've seen that with President Trump. He signed one thing that changed everything that we built over the last eight, ten years. And so, and so, how, how, my, you know, to that, you know, my question on top of your question, Mr. Hodge, is, is this really, is that really going to take effect, and is that, is, is that reversible? So, Anita, do you want to go first? Go ahead, Mayor. Go ahead, Mayor. Okay, so I I think the the reaction to the voter suppression thing was, um, as you as we're following this, uh, the right one. I think the 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 legislator who was arrested, the sister who was arrested, did the right thing by taking a courageous stand. She was, as John Lewis would say, she created some good trouble. And by by going there and showing the callousness of the government, by and large, what the what the governor should have done if he was even if he disagreed on the policy question, why would you arrest another member of the legislature? You let the person in even though they disagree. It wasn't going to change what he was going to do. Now, what could potentially impact him is what the, what the Major League Baseball did. Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game out of Georgia. And oh. what you, yeah, Major League Baseball pulled the, the All-Star game out of Georgia, and then what happened is there was a, a fact that an old, an old friend of mine who's a bishop in the AME Church, Reginald Jackson, they got together a number of the black ministers and began to challenge every major corporation in Georgia to take a stand. 
So Coca-Cola and others, Home Depot and others, they're even calling on a boycott of some companies. And even um, Will Smith pulled his movie out of, out of Georgia. It, Will Smith and, 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 and his partner pulled the movie out of Georgia. And so, and then what that did also was force, uh, force the, the increased vigilance of uh, the, the voter activists in Georgia who are on the ground. There, there you've got about a number of cases, of court cases, that are around that case in Georgia right now challenging the voter suppression legislation. The most ridiculous thing out of that piece is, so it's been historic long lines in places like Georgia where people go to vote. You mean to tell me I can't give you a bottle of water as you wait in line to vote? I mean, this is the kind of ridiculous stuff that people would put in a legislative bill. And I think you're right when you say some of it is, you know, they're blatant because it's, it's public record. You know, we do have to pay attention. It's between working and taking care of our children and doing all the stuff we do. We have to pay attention to some of this uh, public policy business. And the second part is the, the, the time that we don't have, we do elect people who should be informing us of this stuff that's going on and what we could do about mm-hmm. it. So, you know, it's, 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 we're really going back to a real heightened sense of activism that I saw grow up when I was growing up in the 1960s. It's going to take a couple kinds of strategies. You're going to have to have uh, people inside the process and people fighting outside the process to affect change in this country. That's so good. The protest good. movement should continue when there are injustices wrong from outside, whether it's marching, you know, whether it is using um, – the withdrawal of economic enthusiasm against certain companies who support policies. You have to look at well, one of the things that happened immediately after the insurrection in Washington was a number of companies told, told the, those officials who supported uh, what they perceived as an insurrection and not certifying the vote that they would no longer get their money. They would no longer get their financial help when they run for office. And so that's what, you know, that's what we've got to continue to pressure companies to do. Now, we, you know, looking at the economic side, there are several things that we have to leverage. Our, Adam Clayton Powell used to say, it's in your hands. The two things that you have in your hands that you control is your electoral vote, and we showed that strength because Joe Biden wouldn't be sitting in the White House had it not mm-hmm. been for the black vote. And number two is your economics. We have not driven that factor enough, in my estimation. So you control those things. You control where your dollar goes. And as we can, as, as, and that's why companies are paying attention to what's happening out there, and they're taking positions. Typically, a corp, especially these major corporations, would not take a position. They they give their money behind the scenes with PACs where the average uh, citizen can't see it. But now they're stepping out front criticizing government policy because now we're beginning to drive our economics behind our politics to say, well, if companies, you know, in the 60s we used to say, and Adam Powell and Dr. King and others, Malcolm and others would say, we shouldn't, we shouldn't shop where we can't work. So that's the kind of leverage we have to bring to the table if we're going to affect change in society. If we can't, if we can't be the president of Goldman Sachs, but we can't be the president of this nation. So our, our pension dollars go there. You know that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People don't know. We're not in the game on this stuff like we, we. A lot of us are civil servants. We work in the government sector. We pay into pension funds. But we have mm-hmm. very little to say how that pension fund is invested. But there are seats on boards that people, employees vote to be on those boards. 
you know, we, we have to be more active in our labor unions because those labor unions control pension funds and decide where things go. So, you know, we have to, we have to be as savvy. Our politics is getting a little bit more savvy, I believe. Our protest on the outside of the system is engaged and, we, and should continue to be. And I think now we have to also begin to leverage our economic power as a group. We can, we can buy stuff like everybody else can. If we want something built in our neighborhood, we can pool our money and buy. And, build, and if, if the school system isn't functioning, make your own school. Mm, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Anita, it, 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 no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here nodding because I'm agreeing with, um, you know, everything is. I mean, you all can't see me nodding, but I'm like, this is just, you know, the type of conversations that I am um, embedding in the young people that I work with. So part of the work that I do is, um, you know, I'm a business coach, but I also, um, for my give back on my social, my social impact, um, is really bringing along our young people. Um, and listen, and really not being afraid to have, you know, these type of conversations um, about economics, about um, civic engagement, about mental wellness, and also finances. So the program that I am working in right now, I have a program where I have, that's what we talk about. We talk about you know, workforce development if you choose to work for someone else, in addition to combining that with entrepreneurship, which is the space that I sit in currently, and also your overall mental and financial wellness. So I'm being really intentional about, you know, starting with this group of young people who have trusted me in their lives and also the program that I work with. Um, But it's, it's, it's important, but even... Um, to the mayor's point about having, you know, that elevation and consciousness about, um, you know, our economics. It, it, you know, I have to say it starts within the household. I can think back, you know, to when I was growing up. Um, you know, my grandmother. I was raised by my grandmother, and she, you know, she she was she had a side hustle, but it wasn't. It was business. She was a business owner in addition to raising you know, her grandkids and, you know, starting those type of conversations or, or having, um, being educated or seeing that or normalizing the conversation begins with education. And this is across the board. Um, you know, again, to the point about, um, you know, going to and supporting different um, organizations that um, lend to your belief system but also really thinking about how we are educating and normalizing the conversation about, you know, how do you budget, where do you bank, how do you invest, and also how are you feeling today, including mental wellness, because, you know, we all have individuals within our family, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, that they have been suffering over the years with mental illness issues, but we just call them crazy and kind of just, oh, Mm -hmm. you know how that cousin is. So, that is what we considered as normal. Same way with not going to a bank. We would go to a check cashing place or we would, you know, pawn stuff and do, you know, all type of things instead of, you know, teaching our family members not to indulge in certain things like drugs and alcohol, but, you know, taking that money and buying life insurance so we won't have to have a GoFundMe account or, um, you know, investing in property and pooling things together. 
So though normalizing those type of conversations, even if it's, you know, in churches or when you gather at a community board meeting or if you're doing an online um, digital, if you're online or uh, utilizing your platform, normalizing the conversation is a part of us, in my opinion, becoming more conscious and aware. And, and, and it, it may take about 10 times before someone gets, oh, yeah, I do need to do have a budget or I do need to, you know, think about um, voting or, okay, what's today? Is my bills paid on, on time? How's my credit happen? So mm-hmm. it may take a few times before we kind of get it, but the more we have those type of conversations from our elected officials informing us, community advocates, you know, business owners, we all have a responsibility in educating and supporting each other to help to win this overall fight. Yeah, one of the things that, that I, you know, talk about, um, I am a, a marketing strategist, a, a, a brand um, strategist, and I work with a lot of, you know, small business, uh, you know, startups and, you know, medium-sized businesses on cultivating and shaping their their brand. But one of the things that, that we also talk about and deal with with our clients is what is your social voice? What, what, what do you stand for in your community? Because, you know, most client, um, small businesses, they're fabrics of their community. And so I think that it's important instead of just, you know, selling product or, you know, offering services locally, you know, be a part of the local fabric. You know, be, get involved with local government and get involved with, you know, your, your mayors and your city council members to find out how can you graph yourself in the total plan of the community, right? Um, it's, it, and, and just like, you know, the mayor was saying that that's one of the things that's really going to push back that, that I call it the Jim Crow law, um, you know, the, the voter suppression, you know, law that's in, in, in place now is you start making economic, you know, letting your economic voice be heard as a business and making those statements that, that's really heard out loud because if people want to hear your voice, they're going to listen to their pockets. <laughs> and you start taking money out of their pocket, you start taking money from that city and tax revenues and, you know, bringing, you know, um, money to that area, you know, with the with the Major League Baseball taking the taking the um, All Star game out of that. That that's a real statement. And they, if they don't listen to your voice, they're gonna listen to their pockets. <laughs> absolutely, 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 absolutely. Um, if I could just bring to the the, the, the table about um, our uh, the mental health uh, aspect of things and the law enforcement killing. Um, mental health, people with mental health disabilities. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? How do you think we can actually change that? Well, one of the things that I, that I thought about was um, we have to make sure that, you know, although our, you know, police officers are skilled, they are trained, they also have to be emotionally and mentally adapt as well. Because here, here's the thing, yes, we teach them how to respond um, or react, I'm sorry, but how do you respond? Because some things can, instead of you having an escalation approach to them, you should have a de-escalation approach. How can I minimize, you know, the situation? What's the first thing as opposed to? I think that's what's happening in all of these situations that we see with, with you know, police brutality is 
the first thing they do is they find out how can how can this be escalated immediately because that's what we're getting. And so I think, you know, a mental health, you know, um, approach to making it a part of the training aspect is really evaluating, you know, individuals to help them internally, you know, understand how to process situations because they may be dealing with things personally that comes out in their professional, you know, responsibilities. But I think there are three three challenges around mental health for our community right now. One is the perception of getting help. Um, You know, I I hate to use the colloquialism when people say, well, you say, well, maybe you should go talk to somebody. They say, well, I ain't crazy. No, we're not Mm -hmm. saying you're crazy. But therapy and and, and, um, professionalism doesn't mean that, you you know, that there's something wrong with you. You just may need to have to talk to someone. And so we have to change the perception because someone goes to see a therapist that there's something, uh, we have to take that stigma off right. our community. Right, right, right. The second part of that is the challenges that all of us face as re- are facing as relates to COVID-19 and these quarantines. All of us have been, you know, ha- you know we've had the social distance, which means, you know, we're socially isolated. So, you know, I think even our children who are, so many of them who are returning back to school have been socially isolated. So will there be more mental health challenges? I was watching a woman on television yesterday, and I think it was Ohio, where she was saying she couldn't get, um, she couldn't get a therapist because that, now that field, because of the demand of all the, this current crisis we're facing, is overwhelmed. And so while there's a crisis, there's also an opportunity. That means that there might be opportunities for people who, who, who want to get educated in that direction because the need is now more exhibited because of the current crisis we're facing. And then lastly, just to support what you were saying, is that is there some specialized training that the law enforcement community needs to take around mental health? Even before, I mean, you know, and, and I, hate, I hate to say it, but I think Reverend Sharpton probably says it best, is that these crises have been going on around issues around police brutality for a long time. It's just going back to Rodney King was the first time we had a visual, and now we, it becomes so current with the cell phones being automatic cameras that we're capturing more of it where it's just struck a chord um, in the world, so to speak, because now we can show it without CBS or ABC or NBC. Um, we and, and with the advent of social media, we can all broadcast on our own. So, um, but should there be any special? Even before all of all of this current crisis, police officers have one of the highest rates of of uh, suicide, alcoholism, and drug addiction. I don't know if people are aware of that. And, and some of it is because of the kind of job that they have. They, you know, so while we're we're battling back against the the, the institutional racism, which the the shooting happens more to us than to anybody else, they also have their own spirit challenges of having to deal with the criminal element that could take them out every day. So some of this is driven by their fear of us as a community and their fear of just getting home to their community. So that's a very powerful mental health challenge where I don't have an answer per se. You know, one of the things that could be put on the table, is there more counseling required on an ongoing basis to to deal with these challenges that police officers face? Because the data is there. 
um, around these issues of alcoholism, drug addiction, and suicide. They have their own self-help groups that try to deal with it, but it also impacts the community, and maybe the community's knowledge of some of the challenges that they, that they have. They can, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm like the sister from Bed-Stuy. I have relatives who who done policing as well, so I kind of know both sides of that scenario. And then, of course, having been a mayor, for you know, having served as a mayor, um, um, I, you know, you deal with it both as an institution as well. So those are challenges that they have uniquely around the mental health field that as a society we better figure out how we address them. Well, you also have to think about, you know, the trauma that goes into even being a police right now. Because we talk about what it means to be a black man in America, right? But you got to think about the, the, the officers that's not taking a part into this whole police, you know, brutality situation, the trauma they they are facing because they still have to have a job, right? They still have yeah, to provide well, for their family. Recruiting people to do the job now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think also wants to be a cop now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's also important for for them to even take it on their own to to get you know um, help and and to kind of process you know through these things. And there there are a number, and I don't know who's listening to us right now all across the world, but there are a number of places that you can go, like Psychology Today. You got Black Girls Therapy. You got Good Therapy. Um, you can you can research these areas and really get the help that you need because here's the thing we are dependent on you guys, we're still dependent on you to protect our neighborhoods, to protect our homes, to protect our families, and and just because you know there there's one bad apple or two bad apples or ten or a hundred, <laughs> don't mean that the whole crop is bad, right? Um, but it's important that we really take the take take time to to really care for ourselves, care for our not only our physical health but our mental health. And like mm-hmm. you said, Mayor, it, it's important that we take that stigma off off, off the table. That you know, just I I'm, I got to be crazy to to get a therapist. That's not that's not that's not it right. That's not, that's not it at all. I think it's important because I've had to get therapy, you know, um, just just dealing with me. <laughs> We're not even talking about dealing with other people, but just dealing with me, right? Because mm-hmm. because you have to understand if you can't think properly, you can't act properly. Right. It's impossible. And when I when I think about um, again, I'm I'm gonna you know just echo but also, you know, state about how we should normalize the conversations about, you know, what it means and what it looks like to be well. Um, You know, wellness to me could be as simple as, you know, sitting in the corner reading a book and calling my therapist to say, you know what, we need to have a conversation. Um, And, and again, just normalizing it again, because I can point to, you know, situations where, um, you know, I can think of right now where, you know, it's just hard it, 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 for family members, and they do not want to go and see someone else because to um, the mayor's point about the perception of what going to get help looks like. You need to have conversations outside of your family, your immediate friends, um, because some of the things that we may be unpacking when we do go talk to someone else may be embarrassing. Um, and you may not want, you know, anyone to know about it. So for me it's about, you know, normalizing and educating one another about what that wellness overall looks like. 
But it also makes me think about, in terms of overall wellness, is another thing about, you know, our food intake. And, you know, so, you know, there are days when I know that sugar is really bad for me, as an example, um, but it also alters, you know, my mood. It makes me really sleepy. Sometimes it it can, you know, uh, make me really upset, depending if I had appropriate sleep. But combining all of that, in my opinion, about, you know, connecting, normalizing the conversation about what we can do and the resources that we can tap into. Um, And even if you are a person who's working, um, I know that they used to have um, a service through EAP. Um, I know that in certain, um, you know, depending on if you work where you work within a city, they have um, or the smaller organizations that you can tap into. And even at the community level, you have like the, and particularly in um, Brownsville, I could think about, um, you know, the health department that they have and the initiatives um, that they are pushing to encourage um, community residents to become um, certified as um, mental support systems, um, you know, that they're training people to do that, to help to um, ease some of the stigma that's behind it. And, we, again, we still have a, a, a quite a bit of ways to um, deal with, you know, how we deal with overall mental wellness, but mm-hmm. just thinking about, um, you know, the food resources, what folks are taking in, and also thinking about if there is a, a situation um, within a community, right, you know, a, a fight or something like that, you know, do we often really need to call 911? Is that always like our first point of, you know, to how, uh, uh, as a way to minimize the, the, the situation at hand? Or are there qualified individuals within a community um, that we can utilize and tap into to be able to help to, to, to care for the community? Because it then becomes a bigger issue when we, when we call 911, as we've seen most recently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if I could just uh, um, the topic of mental health that we're talking about, discussing right now, um, there are a lot of um, individuals who are, and as Adia mentioned, who don't know how to um, open up about their um, their demons or what they're facing, and they need uh, that comfortability to where they can open up. And a lot of them are hidden, and a lot of them end up doing um, committing suicide and doing drug overdoses and stuff that is of that nature. Um, when all they need is someone to talk to or someone to open up to, and we need a lot of that. We need a lot of, um, especially now, a lot of funding for mental health. And um, I personally, um, not besides the this platform, I actually get out and do the footwork. So um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I actually, I was to say in several marches, um, met with certain, um, a lot of uh, police um, themselves and a lot of uh, local leaders to get some of this stuff done. I'm going to meet you soon with the uh, Mental Health Association to get more funding in all of most of the urban areas so that we can have the funding to hire these psychiatrists, these therapists, and um, addiction specialists to help these individuals. Because the last thing I, I, I hate to see, I hate to use that word, 
is to see someone that took a damn life or to overdose and end up in death. I, I used to say, we're not just talking about adults. We're talking about children who overdose mm-hmm. on, on pills, mm-hmm. opioids. And, you know, for no reason, we're talking, we're talking as young as 13 years of age. Yeah, so even younger. I want to try to prevent that as much as possible. When I can save a life, instead of letting someone end their life as, as young as 13, so that is horrible to me. So um, I want to try to prevent that, and I'm going to mention that you know with, when I meet with the Mental Health Association coming up very soon. Um, um, That's awesome. Before anybody have uh, anything else um, to mention before we, um, I want to discuss another topic um, about on the mental health. No, sir. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we're all here. Um, I was, I was. Um, a part of the uh, discussion, panel discussion on WBLS um, last week on open um, open questions, and there was a, a lady who, um, I believe her name was Elaine, she called into the show, and they were speaking, we were talking about the 11-year-old that got killed by the police um, recently, and she said, and excuse my language, she said, oh, um, I would have shot his ass too, because you never know what these young kids have in mind or when they come up on you. You never know what they're carrying. You never know what their intentions are. And this was a black woman, by, you know. And it, 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 I was so aroused by it. Like, why would you say something like that? And um, the host said, oh, um, you will be brought on federal charges too. You would have been arrested. But she was very strongly about, and she agreed with these police killing this young kid when he had his uh, hands up and unarmed. She was very uh, supportive of it. She said, I would have shot him too. With the biggest thing I had with the heart, I would have shot him too. What are you guys' thoughts on that situation? Ooh, I think it was I think it was heartless to say the least. But um, you know, so it it bodes to, to, in, in this climate to have the conversation about crime in our neighborhoods. So some people are so frustrated with crime that they they and her comment to me was inexcusable. But there is a level of frustration about uh, crime and, and crime in our communities, and so. You know we have to we have to fight. I said there's a, there's there's two battles. One is external, one is internal. But we have to try to fortify these young people so they have enough a self worth that they're not killing each other. I remember um, one of the renowned civil rights leaders said um, one time he wasn't as concerned with the Ku Klux Klan now as he was concerned with his own, in his own neighborhood. So you know, so that's a challenge we have to we have to deal with. Those are internal conversations that we have to have. But her comment to me, as I said, was inexcusable and not worthy of airtime in my estimation. But it bodes to examine what do we do. You know, we had some incidents in New Jersey where some kids, two and three, I think even in New York, there was uh, uh, some 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 kids younger than 11 who were shot in the neighborhood. And you know we have to deal with that crisis as well. Too you know too much of uh, uh, violence is happening among our own community to, to each other, and it's a problem that we have to figure out how we address internally. So you know there was a, I, I mean as, when I was mayor, I used to hear the, I, I would hear both conversations, the police being too aggressive, and we would deal with that. 
then, you know, you'd have people wanting the police to be aggressive because there was crime internally in the neighborhood. So I remember one of the things I did is um, was really controversial is I had a conversation. I brought in a, a guy, one of the founders of the Crips, and asked him to come in. And he, he, was, he was actually in a business where he did what he called gang analysis because the police were trying oh, wow. to tell me we didn't have, at that time they didn't have enough uh, they they weren't sure they were really gangs in this in the community at that time. So I brought him in. He said, "Yeah, you got an issue," and because he was considered an OG, people were willing to talk to him. And so we actually we actually called them in the summer. We didn't let the press in, and those who were who were willing to identify themselves, we had we we tried to find. It was a real complicated thing. We tried to find a neutral ground where we thought they would, would they come. They, they're not going to come to a governmental building because they figured that might be a setup. So we said, we, we, so we picked a local church and they, you know, some of them agreed to come there. So we had an honest conversation. And I said, listen, I'm not talking to you as the mayor. I'm talking to you as a black man who grew up in poverty and had some opportunities maybe that you didn't have. But, you know, my mother lives in this community and if she can't go to the store, that's a concern for me. Had nothing to do with the police on top of you or anything like that. So what do we have to do to resolve those issues? Now, those of you who don't have skills, may need help trying to enter the workforce and all those kinds of things, we're going to offer as much help as we can. We can't promise everybody will get a job at the end of this process. But those who are willing to seek help with education, social services, you have an open door. And, we, you know, during that period of time, we would reduce violence in the neighborhood by having some honest-to-honest dialogue. But those are, you know, we have to develop strategies. And then, you know, we developed this program called Ceasefire. And a lot of communities now are beginning to adopt that strategy. Ceasefire is taking people who have been in the streets who may be able to interact with people um, at a different level than to traditional social service apparatus. And, and, and one of the strategies we deployed was when there was violence committed in the community, especially with a gun, you know, they're not investigated. A homicide is investigated more aggressively than when a person just gets shot. The police may, now, may or may not, if they don't have some immediate thing, they may not investigate that because it wasn't a homicide. You know, they may mm. gloss over it if they don't get immediate leads because they got so much work to do. But we began to reduce violence. What we began to do was investigate every action that happened with a gun like it was a homicide. And so it also began to look at who would be the people who would retaliate. And we had conversations with the family members and others. That's what ceasefire is for. And ceasefire was developed by a professor at the University of Chicago who said we have to study um, gun violence like like it's a public health crisis. So those are the kinds of strategies internally we may have to get elected officials to try to do, um, because we've had some run-ups, particularly in New York, there's been some run-ups in violence as well in some other communities around the country. Um, So we, you know, on a community level, we may have to develop some strategies to get in front of that. That's a painful and difficult conversation to have, but this woman's inexcusable uh, uh, comment I think is driven by that kind of, of fear. Wow, wow! And I think that's important as well um, with with the thing that uh, Miss Anita is, is is working on. Um, it's important to capture, I think, the the community in our kids. 
and really changing the thought process and, 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 and like she was mentioning, making normal conversations normal, abnormal conversations normal. You know, making it a part of, of the dialect, making it a part of the storyline, making it a part making making it like second nature that we discuss these things that's going to project our young people's minds um, forward and opposed to backwards. And I think that as we continue to keep that pressure on, right, it's not something you can just, you know, I think people just think that if they just mention it one time or get on TV and just say one sentence, that that's enough. No, you got to keep these things, these principles in front of our young people. Like the Bible says, you train up a child the way it should go. When they're old, they won't depart. What does that mean? That means that what you put in their head as a young child is always going to be there as they grow out. Even if they stray away, they can't stray too far because of what's, what keeps, what, what's in their head. Mm-hmm. Would, right, right, Miss Anita? Anita, you there? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I was talking and I had you all on mute. I, I definitely <laughs> agree about um, – you know, that principle, I could think of, you know, some of the things I do now or don't do is because I was trained by a very strict grandmother. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about, um, you know, how we, um, you know, what we say to our children, but it's, it's, it's more, it's more than what we say, um, but it's how we, how we live as, it, as real life examples um, to our uh children, and also the people within our community. Um, we have to be mindful about what we, what we say um, because words um, bring forth um, either life or death. And so we have to be more responsible about um, our words, actions, and deeds um, as it relates to um, making it safe for our future generations, even though the fight is um, really hard. Um, I was having a conversation um, with a friend of mine, and I was just saying that, you know, me personally, I I just try to do what I can. Um, You know, I'm, again, from Brownsville, Brooklyn, so I know what the streets are like. But I choose now not to continue that process of what I experienced as a young young person growing up. Um, you know, I'm making conscious decisions to, you know, to change my personal um, narrative and the future for future generations. Like I personally believe that the things that I'm being exposed to, um, whether it's through, um, you know, my work within a working in financial services, there's a reason why I came through that path. There's a reason why, you know, I was placed to live where I live. Um, There's a reason why, you know, we all have been chosen and selected to do whatever it is that we need to do. And it's our responsibility to be able to take those roles responsibly and be able to pass it on to to future generations. There's a lot of work that we have to do. Um, And at my core, um, as I've gotten older, I understand the importance of really making sure that we educate ourselves and also not be the keepers of the education or what we learn, but definitely passing it along to those who will carry it on. Um, and so I'm going to pause, but I'm also going to stay so long because I have to attend to my wonderful uh, boss lady here. 
um, because I promised her an afternoon outdoors today. We're going to take a exercise or find <laughs> something to do. So I I am very grateful, um, you know, to always be a part of these um, conversations, um, and I'm looking forward to supporting um, the journey that we all have together as a community. So I'm sending you all virtual hugs and kisses, um, and I look forward to talking with you all again. Take good care. And Ms. Anita, I, I definitely so want to. I definitely, I definitely want to, you know, stay in contact with you because I love what you're doing and uh, want to see what we can do together to join forces with you. Okay. Can I can I send you, um, Tim? Can I send you um, our my contact information offline? Sure. Sure. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Nita. I really, you know, of course, I appreciate you for always uh, taking time out to uh, be a part of these uh, my panel discussions um, that we have, you yeah. know, on a regular. Thank you so much. Stay safe, everyone, and I will Thank talk you. to you all again soon. Thank you so much. All right, God bless. Thank you. Bye. So, guys, I, um, I. Um, I also want to point out, I'm not going to keep you guys on. I know you guys have other things that you guys have to do in your lives besides the, uh, you know, on this particular panel. But um, there was also uh, a very, very quickly, like I mentioned, uh, incident at an electric company up in Sussex County, uh, Kyron Taylor. There were, uh, there were ropes that were tied up against a little uh, hook, and the opening as if um, it was for him, to be hung, basically what the um, what it was, and he called immediately called the police, and he was um, pounced for it, and um, so now he has a whole an attorney representing him because he was the only black guy at this um, at this electric company uh, up in Suffolk County. Um, so that tells me that there's still that there's still as the racism is still on the rise, in my opinion. And it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Well, we got got a lot of work to do as a country, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, these incidents that's going on around around our country are are just reminders of that. And one of the things that I think that it prompts us to, to do is not get lax. You know, just because we, you know, can say, okay, well, the guilty verdict was a win. Okay, just because we won one one fight doesn't mean we won the battle yet. Um, we and we have to continue to, you know, stand up for justice. We have to continue to stand up for our rights, um, and we have to continue to stand up for accountability. You know, um, and I don't think that you know just because we mention one thing or say one thing at that particular time of the year that it's going to want to stay on people's mind, we have to consistently be consistent in our stance and consistent in our push. Wouldn't you agree, Mayor? Yeah, I, I do. And I think, yeah, that's a very important point. The, uh, you know, the, the George Floyd case is just one, but we have to stay vigilant. And, you know, of course, you have this whole situation that happened in the next town right next door. Yeah, um, during the case. <laughs> yeah, right during the, right during the trial and, and other, there are other incidences that are going around around the country so you know eternal vigilance is is in order for all of this and we're we're in a period of uh 
you know, heightened craziness as well. So um, I think you, I think the, I don't know if it was the Justice Department, the Department of the Southern Poverty Law Center, has done all these documented cases of all these uh, uh, groups or individuals, lone actors who are out there fomenting uh, racist stuff. So we have to be on the guard. And so, you know, uh, we started the conversation, I think, with, you know, what we all have to do as uh, black parents with our children is we they all have to be given the talk. It's an unpleasant talk to have to have with the kids, but it's a necessary one in the climate which we're all living in. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Mr. Holmes, Mayor Smith, I, um, I truly um, – Thank you guys for um, taking time out of your busy life to come and uh, be a part of this panel and this discussion on such a great topic and things that we need that we need to fight for. And um, so I thank you guys both for taking time out. And um, definitely, this is not the last one because I do these on a regular, so it's definitely not the last one. Um, but if I give you guys last thoughts on anything that you want to discuss that you want the listeners to hear. Well, well I, I, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. You go ahead. No, no I, I was going to say just I think the you know I'm going to go back to the statement I I made uh, earlier with Adam Clayton Powell said you know we have our future in our hands. It's what we do with our vote and our dollar bills was going to determine a lot of what happens in uh, societal outcomes as it relates to our growth as a community. And and I want to sentiment you know when we. Um, are are sick, we go to a doctor. When we are, you know, uh, hungry, we go to the to, to the restaurant. You know, there are people that are in place to help us. You know, when we have, you know, um, trauma situations. And I think America right now, as a whole, is 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 dealing with traumatic issues. And you know, especially black black men and black women, um, we have to, you know, don't don't feel afraid to 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 seek counsel. Or to seek, you know, um, you know, some some therapy, you know, just to get through things, and also to correct the erroneous thought process that you can have just by living in your own space, your own head. Um, so don't feel, you know, um, like you're crazy because you you may need some therapy. Do it. Do it because it's only to help you get through some of the things that we're going through. And you you don't have to go at it alone. You don't have to go at it alone. Thank you guys so much um, for uh, again for your time, your, your thoughts, and your support um, to all these wonderful topics. And of course, uh, please keep please keep in touch with me. And if anything that I can personally assist you guys with any type of movement that you guys are doing, please definitely reach out to me and let me know. I'll definitely be a part of it. And when this whole pandemic, hopefully, when things die down and we're able to meet. I would definitely like to have all you guys here at the studio where we guys get the one-on-one chemistry and, you know, and discuss these particular topics. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. It's always a uh, pleasure. And, uh, Mayor, thank you so much. Man. I really appreciate you, man. You can continue to do what you're doing, man. And, and I mean, I got to say, man, I, as a, I'm also man, a, a former graduate of Irvington High School. I was thinking about that how long it's been. I mean, of course, everything has changed um, since I graduated from high school, man. But I can't believe it's over 20-some years already 
<laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, Irvington has, has changed. A lot of us have left the community, but, you know, it's um, it's still a, a great, great location. There's a lot of work to be done there. And right. so oftentimes I talk to citizens there who I served so long there as mayor, they, they still call me and we still try to offer assistance and guidance where we can. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, I mean, thank you for your for your, for your services, man, and all the, the great work that you did for that particular Irvington, man. And we appreciate you, man. And um, thank you so much, man. I'm definitely gonna be still in touch with you and Miss uh, Holmes, you as well, uh, for right. upcoming events or anything like that. But God bless you, brother, man. And we need yeah, more like you guys, day. man. Right. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you to my wonderful panel today and a wonderful panel discussion. I appreciate all you guys for listening and tuning in today. I really appreciate you guys. Make sure you guys, if you missed the, uh, the panel discussion, make sure you guys um, archive the show. It's a great panel discussion. We're going to be doing more of these to hopefully get the word out about all this um, hate crime, as well as the question movement, uh, police brutality, racism, all this needs to come to an end. It needs to change, and we need change, and change starts from within. Um, I can't continue to say this enough. Um, we have to do change. We have to hold those who are in charge accountable for all that we're facing here today. Um, I'm going to jump into a few songs, uh, and uh, I'll be right back to end the show. Feel that body shake and the heat between your legs. You've been scared of love. 